Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. First thing I want to ask you, what do you remember about the first baseball game you ever went to? The first one I ever went to? The first major league game? first major league game. Uh, I was was a Cleveland Indian fan, so I went from Akron, Ohio up to Cleveland. And it went up these ramps, and I didn't know what the ramps were. I was only about 10. I went these ramps up, ramps up, and I come out this big square and hole up there in the triple, the third deck. Yeah. <laughs> municipal Stadium? At Cleveland, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Do you remember what year that would have been? Uh, 48. Wow. Who was I your was favorite? 10 years old. Who was your favorite player? Lou Boudreaux. He was a shortstop. And uh, he was my favorite player until I found out he couldn't run. But he could hit, and he, he, he had one of the greatest years ever as a manager, player manager. He was the shortstop. And if I remember right, he hit about 325, drove in about 120 runs, and hit, I'm going to say, 28 home runs, something like that. Yeah. And playing shortstop every day. Did you ever meet him? I'm sorry? Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I met him later in Chicago when I was managing the Cubs. I met him. He was always, you know, he had a great reputation as a nice man. Wow. Um, Eugene Richard Michael, who named you Stick? A guy in the minor leagues, uh, Jim Price and then his friend Mike Derrick, they hung that name on me in the instructional league mm-hmm. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's like 1961 or 62. Because you were so thin? Yeah, well, I what tried did... to tell people it was because I was a good hitter, but <laughs> if they look at the numbers, they know. What did you weigh back then? What were, you, what were your playing weight back then? Probably 175. And you're not... I mean, you're still in pretty good shape all these years later. I was in good. Sh- I was always in pretty good shape when I played. You know, I tried to tried to gain weight rather than lose weight because I'd lose a little weight during the summer. 1959, Grand Forks. What do you remember? Where is Grand Forks? I remember I went. I started the season off one for 41. I think that's what it was, if I remember right. And then I think I was seven for 109. <laughs> I was holding the whole leg up, and I looked at those how averages on those sheets, you know. They had those, what they called the how averages, and I was holding the whole leg up. I was the only right one. The that, I was the only, you know, one of the right. The, naturally, I was, I was I was playing every day, and uh, it was a rude experience starting my career off in baseball. I never, first of all, I never played under the lights before, and I had never seen a real slider. So they were filling me full of sliders, and I was hitting just right-handed at the time. And I wasn't too bad on sliders that were strikes, but it was off the plate. It looked like uh, I swung at everything off the plate. Where Where is Grand Forks? Where is that? Grand Forks, North Dakota. North Dakota. North of Fargo. The Yankees okay. had a team in Fargo. Okay. And that's that my first year then I played against Joe Pepitone. Joe Pepitone wow. came out of high school mm-hmm. after getting shot in the stomach in his senior year, he comes out to Grand Forks in June, and he had, you could see the bat speed. It was different than everybody in our league. Your, uh, your one for 41 experience, I remember you telling me once that 
you always remember that when you're looking at somebody else coming to New York and thinking about the importance of getting off to a good start. Yeah, I like to see guys uh, get a few hits and relax originally so that they can you know play as well as they can play. When you get tentative and you're one for 20 or one for 30, you keep, you're not swinging the bat the way you can because you're hesitant and you're in doubt and you can't hit that way. It took you seven years to get to the big leagues. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half. You told me you were a really good basketball player. Did you think you'd made a mistake in your career choice? Well, I knew I did. I made a big mistake. I, I didn't. I didn't have a weakness in basketball. It's the only thing I ever brag about. Uh, I didn't have a weakness in basketball, and I chose baseball because of the money. The Pirates gave me twenty-five thousand bonus, and plus my salary, you know, and that was a big item then. And I couldn't get that. I, I didn't want to wait for basketball because basketball was a minor sport then, if compared to baseball. Mm-hmm. Baseball was one. Football and basketball were well below baseball. You played at Kent State. Who who were some of the guys you played against? I played one year there at Kent. Mm-hmm. But I played with Gus Johnson uh, for years uh, before after I signed. And uh, we, we played amateur ball up in Cleveland and Akron, and then Gus won in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, in basketball, I didn't have a weakness. I could really play defense, and I could shoot the long jumper. And I, could, I was really – I had quickness. And uh, I, I was uh, – I, I just, I didn't, there was no curveball in basketball. I like to say that because that's what it really came to. There was no curveball. And if there had been one in baseball, I would have been a little better. But uh, in baseball, I didn't learn how to hit until I was going to, I'm going to say until I was about 36 years old. In 1974, I started understanding how the, the weight shift and to hit against the front side and then get off of it. I didn't understand that. People used to tell me, stick, you got to stay back, you got to stay back. And uh, Mickey Mantle, for one, he was a, one of the first ones to say, Stick, you're getting out front. Stay back. Stay back. And I didn't understand it. And we had no video in those days, you know. Mm-hmm. They had film, but they couldn't do film. You know, they couldn't give you right. practice. Uh, uh, you couldn't show, show your practices in film. Wow. So what do you think would have happened if you'd learned that 10 years earlier? I could have been different. You know, I wouldn't say it would have been great, but I would have had a different kind of career. I wouldn't have been a 229 hitter after I learned how to hit. I knew. It was just too late. When uh, when you were playing basketball, did you play against other people who went on to play besides besides Gus? Were there other people that went on to play at higher levels that you kind of knew you matched up well against I them? I played against some people at Goodyear uh, when we had uh, came back from baseball. When I came back from baseball, and uh, I played against some guys that went in the NBA and mm-hmm. uh, Gus Johnson. And I went, we we played what we called scuttle one on one. We played three games one time. And he had to get 22 points to win one game. Well, Gus scored six points in three games. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one that had all the battles with the busher, you know. Yeah. And I could I, defensively, I could. And Gus was six five. He could really leap, but I could shoot, I could stop him defensively because I could get up with his jumper and I'd make him change it. I blocked a few, you know. And I could really. That was my game. You still like to watch basketball? I like to watch it. I like to watch the, the postseason. Mm-hmm. More than anything, because mm-hmm. it is really tough. They're so strong and physical today. It's a different game from when I played. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I was a big guard. I'd be a midget today, <laughs> and and they're so much stronger today because they get into the jump machines and they can jump out of the gym now. But with all the weights and strength and the size of the players mm-hmm. and athleticism that they they have, uh, they're they're great athletes, and it's a different game. 
What do you think when you watch Steph Curry play? See highlights of him? Oh, yeah. yeah. He can play. He can uh, really shoot. He had a quick jumper. That's that's his key. Uh, quick uh, jumper. Uh, I think they're playing him wrong defensively. What would you do? I think you've got to get on him, stop the jumper, make him make him take the ball to the hoop. Mm-hmm. And then he's a great passer, but you're, you don't want him hitting those threes. He's too good. So you just take. I would take the threes away more. Did you have a favorite basketball player growing up? I'm sorry. Did you have a favorite basketball player growing up? Uh, basketball, uh, uh, not really. But I can't say that I did. Uh, yeah. I watched it mm-hmm. because I used to watch the next play when I was in Akron, Ohio. Wow, and, um, I was the best basketball player to come out of Akron until you know who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard of him, huh? <laughs> you see, you're number two. LeBron's number one, and you're number two. <laughs> I thought I was. <laughs> Gus Johnson was there. He was a great one too, though. Um, your time in the Pirates organization. When did you meet Roberto Clemente? What do you remember about him? I met him my first spring, <clears throat> and I didn't get to know him. But I'll tell you what I did. My uh, it was 1966 in the spring, and I was down in the, I was down in the batting cage early because we didn't get the, the young the younger guys didn't get to swing much, and there, you didn't get to as many swings. So I was down there trying loading up what we called the iron mic, mm-hmm. and we had, had the thing with the arm, you know. And so I was down there. I had the machine all loaded up, and I'm looking down and uh, looking looking. At, I'm hitting. I'm just I'm hitting right handed and left handed. And uh, as I looked through the batter's eye, I could see Clemente come out of the clubhouse. It was real early. It was about 8.30 in the morning. But he always had a tr- problem sleeping. So he was up early, and he walks out, and he steps out, and he, he sees uh, somebody swinging the bat. He probably didn't know who it was. And then he's standing there watching. I could see, you know, I'm, I know it's him. And he, he's up, you know, maybe 60 yards away from the bat, uh, from the uh from the iron mic mm-hmm. and uh he starts walking towards down towards the iron mic in the cage and he keeps coming and coming and he walks down and he walks down and he's outside the cage now he's watching me all the time while i hit and he he goes like this he's he did, he just knew my name was gene so he said gino you mind if I say something <laughs> like that? Yeah. And I said, well, well do I? Uh, yeah, I said, yeah, fine. So he starts talking to me about it. I don't remember exactly what he talked to, but I thought it was really special that he came down there to see a, a rinky-dink like me at that time uh, to, to hit. And he knew I wanted to improve a little bit or I wouldn't have been in the cage. So he he, he comes down there and he started help, uh, talking to me about hitting and stuff like that. And I marveled the way he played anyway, because he played, he, he he took it to another level, you mm-hmm. know. He just ran like crazy when he did, you know, a, a, a possible double. Uh, he, he, he was fierce, and he had great pride. He had tremendous pride in himself, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be the best. And he didn't, not just for him, but for the team, he was, he was, he was different. Wow. Is, is, did everybody in the minor leagues at that time with the Pirates kind of look up to him the same oh, yeah. way? Yeah. yeah, everybody did. Uh, the ones that knew him, uh, they did. But uh, <clears throat> he was—he was just—he uh, had an intensity about him. You got <laughs> to play for the Yankees before George Steinbrenner owned them, and then while he bought the team while you were still a player. Do you remember when you met him for the first time? 
It was in uh, spring training. I remember when uh, I had one of the numbers that he wrote down the numbers of the players that had their hair too long. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he gave the numbers to uh, Hauk in the, in the spring. And <clears throat> so Hauk read off the numbers. And uh, it was sort of a lighthearted thing. He said, you guys go get your hair cut. So then I think <clears throat> that day, that afternoon or something, I was down near the Gold Ocean Mile, if I remember right. And uh, somehow I saw George in his car there, and uh, and he and I just said hello, because there was another player standing there. And I, I remember saying hello to him, and uh, he, he said hi and uh, introduced himself. And uh, I didn't I didn't really know him. I knew he, I didn't know who he was when he bought the Yankees, but then I put it together that he was the one that had the Pipers too. Okay. In Cleveland before mm-hmm. that, the old basketball team in, in yeah. Ohio. Uh, did you guys bond over that at all? Your Ohio? No, roots? but we no. did that. We used to talk <laughs> yeah. about it, you know. Yeah. And he used to talk about uh, trying to when he was trying to buy the thing, and he was scraping up money to get together to buy the the team. He thought someday he could be in the ABA, uh-huh. and then eventually Cleveland is in the NBA. What What was harder, playing for George Steinbrenner, managing for him? or being his general manager? Um, I'd say managing. <clears throat> managing was the toughest for me. Playing for him was easy enough because uh, I didn't have any problem playing except I always probably thought I was a little better than I was. I always thought I should start. And then they brought in Mason uh, after he came there. Uh, he was there a year. They brought in Jim Mason in 74. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I was a better player. I probably was at the time, but they were right in <coughs> trying to get someone for the future. <coughs> uh, uh, I, I, it was tough, tough managing for him. I think part of it was because he knew me too well. I'll give you an example. When Tory came aboard, he didn't know George, and George didn't know him that well, and we got off winning right away. Yeah. So he was on a honeymoon thing that you know was pretty good, pretty easy. Yeah. So um, that was different for him. Now for Billy, he knew Billy, and after after a little while, he'd always grow tired of Billy, and yeah. he'd, he'd whack Billy a little bit. And then when he when I managed for him, he 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 always told me he's going to have to make a change, and it was like those threats. And yeah. That. It was tough for me to live with him there as a GM. We argued, and I would. <clears throat> If I went back at him twice, he would listen. If I went back at him a third time, I'd get my way. And if I ever had to go back two times uh, and make it the third time, mm-hmm. I would get my way with him on uh, something I wanted to do. <clears throat> but we'd argue about a lot of things. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't a firing thing. He got, he got uh, truthfully he got a little jealous uh, later when we had success. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to really share it with me too much. <laughs> I was getting some credit for some things, you know, and he didn't. That that that's why he didn't want to pay me to be the the GM, mm-hmm. and that's when I stepped down. That's what it was about and at the time. I never mentioned that it was <clears throat> was that he used the excuse for money. Uh-huh. That was the reason. Yeah, it wasn't the money. It was the jealousy. He liked me being right next to him, but not being the GM. Wow. You know, it's funny because in later years, after the championship run, he would always go back and give you credit after the fact. Later. Yeah. Yeah, after uh, <laughs> after other people were, were uh, in there. 
like after Brian was in there and uh-huh. that, he didn't want to give Brian any credit, <laughs> so he'd give me credit. And you just laughed at the whole thing, right? <laughs> um, what was it like as a GM? Would he call you, what, once a day, twice a day, four times a day? How, how, how would that work? Uh, a lot. Uh, never as a manager in the dugout, like people said. Maybe mm-hmm. he did that to Billy, but he didn't do that. Uh, I, I remember one time he had Bert, Bill Bergish come down to the clubhouse mm-hmm. and then go into the dugout during a spring training game, and I said there'd be no more of that. Yeah. I told Bill, don't ever come down here again. So he went back and told George that. And they, they never interfered ever during a game after that. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> But uh, as a GM, yeah, he'd call me. Well, one time I went home. I'm going to say it was uh, – I'm trying to think what year it was. It might have been, uh, it was 80, 1980, the first time I was a GM. Mm-hmm. And I went home, <clears throat> and, and uh, I had stopped at a grocery and got some, picked up some things. <laughs> so so I get home, I go in, I turn the TV on, and he says, uh, and I can see someone's on the field hurting, and the phone's ringing. One of our players is hurting, and the phone is ringing, and he says, uh, they were showing a replay of the player getting hurt, and he, and he says, uh, "Where were you? Where were you?" I said, "I was, uh, I was, uh, I stopped at the grocery on the way home." He said, well, "Where do you live?" I said, "Well, I'm staying in Tenafly." He said, "Well, how far? How long did it take you to get home?" I said, uh, "20 minutes, 30 minutes. That's all." He said, "Well, you leave the stadium at six. You should be home at 6:30." He said, well, the game starts at, at, at 8, you should be home, or 7, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. He said, you're like a doctor. You're on call. He said, we, we can't have that. you gotta, you got to be ready. He said, don't you see that a player is hurt there? What are you going to do now? What would you tell him? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I said, we'll have to look see what we can bring up or something. It's, like it's a good thing they didn't have I cell phones. I had just gotten there, and the player got hurt in the first inning. Good, good thing they didn't have cell phones back then. He would have never let yeah. you go, right? I forgot what it was exactly. I'm probably not getting getting it exact, oh. but that's I remember him calling me on the phone. When in the in a very important phase of your tenure as GM, did you remember having to talk him out of constantly trading the good young players, whether it was Jeter, whether it was Mariano or Pettit or Posada or any or Bernie? I know there's a, the famous story about how you called around to every team and didn't mention Bernie's <laughs> name or put it back Bernie, back to him. Yeah. But did you have to constantly not, talk not him out too of it? Much. No, he listened pretty good. After we had our, we were having some success, and he saw the team was on the rise, and mm-hmm. we were a good team in '73 and '74. We were probably the best team in our league mm-hmm. when the strike hit. But he he was seeing some things, and I I always like to say this. I always like to say I think I think George taught me a business sense, and I think I taught him patience. Mm-hmm. And staying with younger players a little longer, and being, we had to trade young players, but thinking out and trade the ones that that don't fit as well as certain ones that do fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to make some decisions. Hopefully, you end up, you know, you get a little lucky and make the right decisions. Like like uh, Andy Pettit, we had a choice of Andy Pettit, and uh, we kept Andy, and that worked out right. But I, I used to explain to him that there'd be some guessing in when you do make trades on players. Uh, try to do it. Try to think it out and do it as well as you can. And you got to get lucky. And you have to use the scouts' good judgment, imagination. I thought I had some of that. Uh, then you got to get a little lucky with some things, like like Pettit, like uh, 
Uh, we traded Russell Davis in a deal with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Davis I liked a lot, but we had to give something up to get Tino right. and to get Nelson. We got Nelson as a throw-in. Yeah. And I think it was partly because at the end of the year, Nelson didn't do well with Lou out in Seattle. Uh-huh. That's, how, that's how we got him thrown in on the deal, I think. Wow. You, uh, I always thought you're, and maybe it's it's just guessing, maybe it's just good fortune, but the idea of you knew keep Bernie Williams, trade Roberto Kelly. You knew keep Andy Pettit, trade Sterling Hitchcock. Is that conscious decision-making? Is it good luck combination? Both, yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to get lucky with some things. But I, I, for one thing, I, I liked, uh, I thought Bernie Williams would be a better center fielder. I was right on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like Roberto as a center fielder too much. Uh, he wasn't selective at bat enough for me, too. I like selective guys at the plate, mm-hmm. walk a lot, and power. I thought eventually Bernie would have power. Now, he didn't show much power statistically yet, but he had big power. I remember Bucky Dent talking to me one time about how he, in AAA he'd surprise you once in a while in batting practice. He could just kill the ball. Well, it made me, it got my attention, and I started watching Bernie. Bernie had power. He just hadn't developed it yet. And I thought he would be better overall. Now, I love switch hitters. You know that. Switch mm-hmm. hitters give you balance. Yes. And uh, I've talked to Brian about that a lot. We, we talk about balance on a ball club. That helps the manager so much. Now, if you have two or three good switch hitters, like Fasada, are you kidding me? It's Fasada and Bernie Williams in the mm-hmm. lineup. Yeah. That's big-time depth yeah. and balance. Um, how, how good of a job do you think Brian Cashman has done? Good. He's under, under a lot of pressure in a lot of ways being in New York. And for one, we didn't deliver much in the minor leagues for years. That hurt, mm-hmm. that hurt there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't have uh, that development in the minor leagues like we, we, we could have and should have. Is it harder to keep chasing than it is to build? I mean, when you're, when you're building from, from the bottom, you get to be a little bit more patient because you have no choice. Yeah, but you once know, you're at the you, top. You've got to get lucky with some things. <clears throat> Free agents, signing free agents, mm-hmm. you have to get lucky there. We got lucky with Jimmy Key. Right. I mean, he started off at, I don't know what he was, 21 and 3 or something like that the first year. And he was, he could pitch. Yeah. Well, you, you get lucky, and then he had a, then he had an injury and he mm-hmm. missed a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to get lucky with people like that. You got to, different, different, I can think of different players along the way that well, we made some decisions. Most of them, you know, work some of them through luck. I remember the, the first year, I forgot the guy's name. We tried to sign a Latin kid that went and wouldn't sign with us. We offered him a contract, and he he hung out there like that. And he signed with the Cubs, and he got hurt the first month. Ooh, wow. That's luck. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Brian, I liked him too. He was a, a right hand pitcher. I could go back and get his name. Right Brian always talks about what he learned from you as far as philosophy of the big hairy monsters, uh, high on base with power. It's just, I mean, it's on very simple. Right? Yeah. Very simple rudimentary at the time. I thought we were way ahead of everybody years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think teams copied us later. Some of them couldn't. George would never let us be number one in money right. before a certain point. I'm going to say 1996. He's abandoned that and said he doesn't matter doesn't matter where we are on the money thing anymore. Yeah. But we always had to be number two or number three yeah. on finance before that. Mm-hmm. That made it a little difficult compared because we had some contracts 
that were already there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, and we had to get we had to move to get to move some of the contracts. But it's uh, the game is so much more. I always use the word sophisticated today. There's so much more into it with the numbers and everything, but you can't get all numbers. Mm -hmm. You can't look at all numbers. I was just talking to Reggie about it, and I've talked to Brian and Billy Upper about that too. You can't look at just numbers. You have to use the scout's eye, and the scouts have to have good judgment. I've got Tim Nairing and people like that that are going to really help with this thing. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. We have a lot of good scouts, mm -hmm. but you have to, uh, I like to use it this way. There's a blend between the numbers and the scouting. Mm -hmm. And if you just try to do it with numbers and don't look at video and don't look at the players enough, that's wrong. It won't work. But you know not to ignore numbers. That's still a big part of today's oh, game, Oh, no right? question about yeah. it. <clears throat> high on base, those are the rudimentary things. Mm -hmm. the, uh, high on base and slug. That's for offense. Range on defense is the next thing. Uh, I don't believe you can judge it strictly by cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you have to Watch a player for a while, and think it out. And uh, some players do a lot of diving, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They do too much diving, and they never get in there when they dive. Right. I saw guys go pitter patter those little steps, dive, short steps. I'll give you one. I'll bring one out of the past that could do it and do it better than anybody else. But it was a time dive, and it was a look good dive. Didn't wasn't necessary. Or donuts. Yeah. He uh, was great at it. Fantastic yeah. at it. He would catch the ball. It would look like a greater play than it was. Mm -hmm. and he, but he would dive. He'd, jump, he'd go straight up then. If you're really running fast and you dive, you have to slide because you, you have momentum of speed carrying mm -hmm. you. But he could go pitter-patter, dive, and go straight up. That's time dive, overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the advanced numbers, whether it's defense, whether it's all the extra pitching stats, are are they a good barometer? Do you like do you like looking at those other things? I love advanced stuff. Yeah, yeah. As a manager, I loved it. I didn't, you know, I, I truthfully I did it in Triple A. Mm -hmm. I used scouts for advanced scouting in Triple A. The first mm -hmm. year I did it, <clears throat> and I know it worked because we went ten and zero. We weren't even picked to win our league. We went ten and zero, and we were never out of first place first place, my first year of managing AAA, mm -hmm. and I used advanced scouting. I burned up the phones at looking for advanced scouting from, there was a guy named Dutch up in Syracuse that would, was scouting the league. He was one of our, Dutch Dodderer. Mm -hmm. He used to give me what he had, all the speeds and everything that he had, and arms. I had an, I had an edge on the other managers in the league because I had an edge going in. The best scouting report I ever got in the minor league was from Rod Carew. When he was traded from Minnesota, he went to the An Anaheim Angels. Mm -hmm. I called Buzzy Bavese with Anaheim at the California Angels mm -hmm. and asked him for permission to talk to Rod Carew. Rod Carew gave me a scouting report on the AAA team because he was angry at Minnesota not signing him. He gave me the best <laughs> scouting report ever. On wow. the players, and he had that photographic memory. Uh -huh. He could tell me who bunted, who could hit the curveball, who could do everything. It was—he wow. just had that great memory. The best advanced scout you'd ever want from, without just like snapping it right off to me. And I on the phone like, I, I'm going to guess I was on the phone for over an hour with wow. him. Wow. And he loved it that I was asking him about it. Mm -hmm. And Buzzy gave me permission to ask him. Wow. 
because he had been with Minnesota, and it was just a, fr a free way for me to get information. And I had that in AAA. See, their, their team, uh, <clears throat> their team was in uh, Toledo at the time, and we were playing Toledo. They were picked over us to win the league. Toledo, Pawtucket, Syracuse—they were all picked over us, and Rochester mm -hmm. over us. And we were picked fifth in the thing, and we never got out of first place. And I know advanced scouting was the edge. That's when I knew how valuable it could be. I think I think I misspoke actually. When uh, more advanced numbers, the deeper analytic numbers, whether it's war or other things, do you do you buy into the? Yeah, I'm just numbers. I, I don't understand all of it as well as, as they do <clears throat> about the war and all that stuff. I know I know what it is. It's you know the war numbers, the pluses. Uh, it's a way of measuring it. I think you can do it different ways than that. You don't have to just have those numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, the essential ones are the ones that count. <clears throat> and because if you get too many numbers, you don't have time to, to use them all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just like advanced scouting. When you get the advanced scout reports that we have today. You can't use it all because you're playing every day, and you, and you're having a new series. As soon as one series is over, like Joe Girardi gets the advanced scouting report, well, you, you don't have time to use all that stuff before the next game. You're playing yeah. the next day, yeah. So you use the basic basic parts of it and use what you can. You can't use it all, and if you do, you get too confused. There are too many things to think about. But the advanced scouting is is very important for me. Well, you've got a closet full of World Series rings. You've got a good reputation in the game. You still think you made a mistake picking baseball uh, over basketball? I think I could have done that in basketball. <laughs> I think I could. I think yeah, I could yeah. have thought it out and, and, and picked the guys that could shoot from uh, the hot spots on the floor and all that stuff. I think I would have been into that stuff then. Fantastic. Uh, listen, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Dick. Okay. Thank you. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.